0: All right. Good afternoon. If I call out your name right now, uh, I'm going to just ask you to just stand up. Uh, I'm going to call out the names of people that just took leadership training with our church. And uh, we have actually a whole bunch of people. We have about 44 people that have been accepted into leadership with our church this past month from spring and fall and uh, there's a bunch from here at ET1. so if I call out your name you could just stand for a moment Audrey Ra Cassandra who's not here Daisy Kim who's not here Mark Yu Brother Noble please stand up Susie Rhee alright Tanya Zach Dean, Manji Madriga, no, stand, remain standing, please. Sky, Sky, you might want to stand up on your chair. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm playing. Because Sky is, anyway. I thought Sky was, you know. Anyway, Eunice Co. All right. So those are. <clears throat> if I didn't call your call out your name, please come see me afterwards. I think there's. Maybe a seminar or a covenant thing missing. I just have to talk to me afterward. Um, and, uh, yeah, Sam, you just owe me like like a seminar, all right? But Sam can't. Sam, why don't you just stand up? Because you're already on the church plant team. So <laughs> let's get you formally introduced as a leader. All right. So these people that are standing here, I want you to get a good look at them. Because they are here to serve you. And they are here to get trained up. And disciple you, mentor you, bless you, buy you dinner. Because that's what leaders do. Amen? Amen, leaders? Wow. wow. You sure you guys want to do this? No. Um, so I just want to pray over them and bless them. Lord, I just pray for every E 101 new recruit leader that has just been accepted into leadership with our church. We thank you for the greater anointing and grace that will flow out to them as they step out to serve, as they make themselves available for kingdom purposes, and as they look not only to their own interests, but to the interests of others, I thank you that, Lord, you provide and equip for them everything they need to be a blessing here in this church and here in this city, God. So we just thank you. I bless every new recruit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. I'll go ahead and take your seats. All right, so today, if you could keep your Bibles open to Luke chapter 19. And then if you have a marker, leave it at Luke 19. And then also, well, flip to Matthew 25. Luke 19 and Matthew 25. And we'll be looking at those two passages today. Before I begin, I do want to make an announcement that uh, as of now, I made a decision, uh, especially after preaching last week on Father the Fatherless, where I talked about the importance of having a relationship in your life where someone, you give that person permission to mentor you, that permission to speak into your life, to challenge you, to correct and rebuke you, Where, you know, where a lot of Christians, young people these days, they want to be independent. They want to just believe God the way they want. You know, there's not much grace flowing into their lives because they're not connecting with people in this kind of dynamic of relationship. And how it's important that, especially for the most fatherless generation that has ever lived on the earth, how important it is to see the role of fathers being restored into the church. All right whether that's through just older people that you know or through your small group leader or discipler, right, it's very important that we father the fatherless. And if you, you yourself are being healed from fatherless issues, all right, it's good to look for a small group leader. Look for someone that can serve that role and manifest the heart of the father to you so that you can really be established as a son. Because good sons, they go on to be good fathers. Amen? And so... For myself, I'm not that old. All right? If I was like 80 years old, then maybe I'll be like, all right, maybe it's a little hard to find a mentor now. Um, and so maybe I might put that issue more at rest. But uh, I'm, I'm only 31. I'm young. I'm full of the fire of God. And uh, I believe that I'm also uh, need a lot of correction, rebuke. I need someone to challenge me. I need someone to speak into my life. And so the Lord has been putting that on my heart and uh, I realized I can't ask Marcus to do that because that's what I do for him. Alright, so I got I to father him. And uh, so the one person that really came to mind as I was searching and I was praying and something, someone that the Lord has really opened up a relationship with is uh, Pastor Benjamin Robinson. He was one of our guest speakers at our Niagara Conference. He's the pastor of Living Hope Church in Emeryville, California. Near Oakland and Berkeley, and we have uh, come into an agreement that uh, we're going to start. I'm going to start submitting to him as a spiritual father. All right, that's good news to you. That means there will be less abuses by Pastor Christian Lee. All right, and if I ever am doing something weird, you know, just shoot Pastor Benjamin an email. Maybe he'll he'll set me straight. All right, but there will be someone. You can rest sure that there's someone that I'm submitting to in that way so that I can continue to grow myself and be refined to be a better leader to serve you guys. Uh, and so with Pastor Huang, the Mother Church's uh, head pastor's blessing and the harmony's blessing, we are going to go ahead and establish that relationship. All right, And I believe that's going to flow down to you guys. And anointing to flow top down, I'll talk about that in a future sermon. Or actually, Pastor John Michael is going to preach on that next week. All right? Do a good job, bro. All right. But that all is going to flow down to you guys. The more anointing I get from a spiritual father, the more anointing you guys are going to get. So I just wanted to announce that and let you guys know. I think it's really good news for everybody. I've been preaching a sermon series through our nine core values. The nine core values of our church. And they are, number one, be extravagant in worship. Number two, freedom is for everyone. Number three, father the fatherless. Number four, be faithful in small things. Number five, the anointing flows from the top down. Number six, roll with the punches. Number seven, supernatural is natural. Number eight, contempt for the kingdom. And number nine, dream big. Dream big. Today, I'm going to preach on number four. And that is, be faithful in small things. Say that, everybody. Be faithful in small things. Earlier, our sister Lydia, she read the parable of the ten minas, found in Luke chapter 19. If you look and you flip to Matthew 25, we have a very similar parable with a similar message that a lot of people confuse, thinking that it's the same parable. But in actuality, it is not. There's a lot of differences between these two parables. The parable of the ten minas in Luke 19, and the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. Let me just point out some of those differences. In Luke 19, the authority figure is described as a nobleman who goes away to become the king. In Matthew 25, the man is just described as a man going on a journey. In Luke 19, the ruler gives money to ten of his servants. In Matthew 25, only three servants are mentioned. In Luke 19, each servant gets a mina. A mina, not a mina. At Hillside, they, they, uh, our sister Shirley kept reading, Mina, Mina, Mina. And it was, it was kind of funny, because we have an administrator named Mina. Anyway, she's wonderful. Um, each servant in Luke 19 gets one mina. According to the ESV footnote, it says a mina is worth three months' wages. But then if you look at the RSV, or, the, um, or in the RSV, it says one mina is $20. So, I'm not sure who to really believe, okay? Maybe ESV was using the um, standard of living in, name a poor country, Bangladesh, I don't know, something like that. But anyway, it's a small amount. A minor is a small amount. In Matthew 25, one servant gets five talents, another guy gets two, and the last one gets one. So they all get different amounts, whereas in Luke 19, they all get the same amount. And a talent is much bigger than a minor. The ESV estimates that it is 20 years wages. Where does the ESV get this stuff from? All right. I don't know. But we have stuck with the ESV, so we are going to stick with it. Um, The NIV and the RSV describe one talent as being worth about $1,000. Anyway, the difference being a minor is a small amount of money. Talent is a lot more money. Luke 19, the faithful servants, they make profits of 1,000% and 500%. In Matthew 25, the faithful servants, they only make profits of 100%. The lazy servant in Luke 19, he hides his money in a handkerchief. Matthew 25, lazy servant hides it in the ground. Luke 19, the... At the end, the lazy servant is rebuked, and the ruler orders that his enemies be brought in and slaughtered in front of him. Not the lazy servant, his enemies. But in Matthew 25, at the end, the ruler rebukes the lazy servant and orders that he be thrown out into the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. So these are some of the differences between these two parables. And when you consider these details, it is most likely that the gospel writers are referring to two different parables given by Jesus at two different times. Everybody with me? Despite the fact that these are two different parables, they both have the same central message. And that's what I'm going to preach on today. They both have the same central message, and that message is? Be faithful in small things. Be faithful in small things. In Luke 19, the nobleman returns from his journey. He's a king now. And he inquires from his servants, What did you do with the one mina that I gave out to, to all ten of you? One guy comes and says, Lord, your mina has produced ten minas more. Now mathematically, that's a thousand percent increase. A hundred percent increase would have been to produce Two minus. No, to produce one more minus would be a hundred percent increase. Thank you, Brian Kim from Columbia University. <laughs> <laughs> but he has produced ten minus more, so he's got eleven to give to his master. That's a thousand percent increase. That's pretty good. If one, of, if I entrusted one of y'all with a thousand dollars of my own hard iron cash, I give it to you, and you produce a thousand percent interest on that in a year, man. That's pretty good. That's, good. That's a pretty good return. And the ruler says to him in verse seventeen, "Well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities." Wow. You produce a thousand percent, and you get ten cities. That's pretty good. You're, you're just. Handling a little bit of your master's money. Next moment, you're the governor of ten cities. It's pretty crazy. Second servant, he makes he takes one mina and makes five more. So the king entrusts him in five cities. So if you bumped into these guys uh, a couple months afterwards, and you asked them, "Wow, how did you come into these positions of authority?" They would have given you one answer: Be faithful in small things. That's how we got here. We were just faithful with small things. And this is a kingdom principle identified in this parable. Being faithful in small things qualifies you for bigger assignments. Somebody say amen. amen. If you want to be entrusted with big things, you've got to learn how to be faithful in small things. In the parable here at Matthew 25 has the same exact message. First servant takes five talents earns five more. Ruler says well done good and faithful servant you have been faithful over a little I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Goes to the second servant. Guy takes two talents and earns two more. The ruler says the same exact thing to the second servant. You've been faithful with a little. In both parables Jesus is teaching the same message. Be faithful in small things. Say that to your neighbor right now. You've got to be faithful in the small things. If you want to be entrusted, who in here wants to be entrusted with a six-figure income? Raise your hand. Who in here already has a six-figure income? I want to know. Who in here wants a nine-figure income in Korean won currency? All right. Now, if you want to be entrusted with a $200,000 U.S. dollar income, you got to be a faithful steward of your $20,000 income. A lot of people say, Pastor Christian, I can't tithe right now because I don't have any money. If I had a million dollars, I would be glad to tithe and give offerings to the church. And you may say that to me, but I won't believe you. You could say it with all the sincerity of your heart. But I'm telling you right now, if you can't be faithful with a $20,000 income and tithing from that, you are not going to be faithful with a $1 million income. Because by the way, as your income increases, your tithing also increases. I don't think people really realize that. The six-figure income person is every week looking at all the money that they're giving to the church if they're faithfully tithing. Alright, that is a painful reminder that God is the one who is the provider. It's a painful reminder that you are trusting Him with your finances. Alright, it shouldn't be painful. It should be, it should be a joyful one <laughs> as you get closer to the Lord. <clears throat> if you want to be entrusted with a better job, then let me encourage you be faithful with your current one. Go to work on time. Don't use all that company time to surf the web idly, getting on Facebook and I'm getting convicted. I didn't, meant to, I didn't have that on my script. Be faithful in your current job. Go above and beyond. Don't just do the minimum. Go the extra mile. Be faithful in small things. You see, before you can manage a large corporation, God wants to see if you can manage the office trash can. He wants to see if you can be faithful in small things. If you want to preach in front of thousands, well, let me tell you right now, then be faithful in front of preaching to 20. You know what I'm saying? You know, when I was a Campus Crusade staff and I, was, I started to preach, you know, and preaching has been my passion all my life. I didn't really know that. But when when I graduated from college, I would sit through sermons. And I love Campus Crusade. I honor the leaders of Campus Crusade. But man, Campus Crusade, at least in New York, the Korea Campus Crusade in New York, we had a reputation for inviting not so good speakers to our conferences. And I would sit there through these long messages and thinking of 101 ways the message could be better. And thinking, God, if I got up there, I could do a better job than that. God, this fire, I had a, that's, that's a passion for, that's like a call to preach. If you guys get that even when I'm preaching my message, that's a hard thing to get, by the way, when I'm preaching my message. But if you get it when I'm preaching my message, you are called to preach, brother or sister. Anyway, I would get that all the time. And when I finally got my opportunity, I spent hours and hours preparing my sermon, and then I and I and I preached, and I thought I was doing um, staff training in L.A. and I remember one of the meetings I went, and it was it was a it was a message on love, and I thought a lot of students were going to show up, you know, and I went to U.C. Riverside, and I went to preach. I spent all these hours preparing. And there were only about fifteen students. You know, and, and I just wanted to, to not preach that message because I spent so much time preparing that message. I wanted to preach at least in front of like 30. You know what I mean? But God was testing me He said, will you, will you be faithful in preaching to just these 15? If you can be faithful in preaching to 15, you can be faithful to preaching to 150. If you want to see people healed of cancer, you want to see them come out of wheelchairs, then you got to learn how to be faithful in praying for the sick. Because every healing minister will tell you their story. That when they started their healing ministry, a lot more people seemed like they were dying than they were getting healed. You know, Master uh, Ronnie Howard Brown always shared his story. Like He was in South Africa and he started doing healing and started praying for people. And every week, they go, Pastor Ronnie, uh, Ronnie Brown? Oh, <laughs> Pastor Ronnie Howard Brown. Ronnie Howard Brown. Pastor Ronnie Howard Brown. Remember that man that has six months to live that you prayed for last week? Oh, yes. How's he doing? He died yesterday. <laughs> and he would get these discouraging phone calls. And in the beginning, he didn't see any results. But he kept at it and being faithful to pray. And that's what you got to do. You got to be faithful to pray. Not... Not just for wheelchairs, but you gotta be faithful to pray for somebody's headache. Pray for somebody's foot pain or foot itch or something. I got a foot itch. Man, I ain't praying for that. All right, no, you gotta humble yourself and be faithful in the small things. And as you do that, you know, uh, you're gonna see the kingdom of God manifesting with greater power. Healing anointing is gonna start to flow. And I believe this is just the way it works in the kingdom of God. God knows that he who is faithful in small things is able to handle the bigger things. He who is faithful with small things will be faithful in big things. So check this out. Even if your boss doesn't see you taking out the trash, staying late, going above and beyond. Don't worry. Just continue to be excellent and faithful in those small things. Because although your boss may not be seeing it, God has got his eye on you. And he's preparing you for promotion. He's preparing you for increase. And I believe that this is uh, the way that we want to run things here at New Philly. This is one of our core values. The thing that we value the most here at New Philly are not gifts and talents, experience, or even people that are moving in supernatural gifts and anointing. Because by the way, those supernatural gifts, they're gifts. You got them for free. So it doesn't really impress us if you're moving in them already. Because any any even even any knucklehead Christian can move in the, in the gifts if they really just are hungry for that. And they're really submitting to the Holy Spirit. Now, those are not the things that we're really looking for when we, when we look to choose leaders and promote leaders. What we value in our leadership... Is faithfulness in small things. And I just want to honor a few people at our church that, in my opinion, they are faithful in small things. I mentioned some different names at Hillside. I'm not going to mention those names. <laughs> I'm going to mention some different names here. Our sister Anita Jew. Over at Hillside. She's one of our apostolic leaders. I'll tell you right in a minute. Anita is a woman of God that is faithful in small things. Even from the days when she was just struggling with fear and anxiety. She used to get anxiety attacks. Right? We continue to just bring healing into her life and encouraged her and spoke destiny and identity over her and within six months you know what she was doing? Within six months when I became the lead pastor I asked her to step up as the prayer team leader and within six months of struggling with to get free and heal from all the anxiety and fear she was leading prayer on stage within six months and when she would lead prayer man, she would do it faithfully and then the more she did it, the more I saw greater bonus, greater authority rising up. So even right now, when, when I ask her, Anita, can you lead prayer tonight? She'll, she'll get all anxious. She'll, be, she'll have to fight that. You know, because you know, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's the fear, the spirit of fear will start to attack her. But, but when she submits to the Lord and gets filled with the spirit and she gets up there, man, when she leads prayer, she leads with authority. I noticed this when we made a trip to Australia last year. And there was a, a, there was a prayer team leader. They had prayer team leaders. And they even had a pastor that was a prayer team ministry pastor. And they were like leading prayer. And I was about to go to sleep. I'm filled with the fire of the Holy Spirit. But I still wanted to go to sleep. Because the way they led prayer. It was like being in a library. I mean it just, it just was was There was no inspiration. There was no prophetic words. There was no like you know, stirring people up. So you know what I did? The Holy Spirit said. Get Anita to lead prayer Because I was about to just step in and do it myself Holy Spirit said no Get Anita to lead prayer Because if you do it They're just going to think Oh that's a pastor Christian But if they see a lay leader doing it They're going to say Oh I can do it So I asked Anita I said hey Anita Can you take the next couple of prayer topics And then I asked the prayer team leaders Of the Australia church Hey can we take a couple of the prayer topics And they said oh yeah Go, go right on ahead And she, she's just strumming away in the guitar uh, I hope she doesn't listen to this And then Anita just got up and she started leading prayer. And she led prayer with authority and bonus. Something broke over the room. Everybody started just praying, interceding out loud. Anita didn't get there overnight is what I'm saying. She got there because she is faithful in small things. (laughs) If you got an amazing ability to teach or preach, or you can sing like Mariah Carey, You can move in the prophetic. You can even, you've seen people getting healed from the sick. But when you are asked to clean the sanctuary, nobody can, nobody knows where you're at. You don't show up. When we call you, you don't pick up your phone. Come on, somebody. Leaders in our church, they're assigned to clean the sanctuary, like at least like, I don't know, four times a year. It's not even that much. But you'd be surprised, man. People will be people peace out. People like mysteriously. <coughs> I don't know if I can come today. Can't fool me. You know when I mean, people be faking them coughs and stuff. I, holy, I, I'll be like Holy Spirit, is that real? <laughs> holy Spirit, like show that brother some grace. <laughs> man, I can't even believe he's faking that cough on me. Anyway, anyway, hallelujah. <laughs> if that's you, you know, guess what? I'm not even going to look your way for like to promote leaders. If I want to, if I want to send somebody, I want, I want to, I want to choose a missions team leader. I'm not going to look towards toward your way. If you can't be faithful with clean and sanctuary, how am I, I going to entrust to you a missions team? How am I going to send you out on the church plant team? How am I going to allow you to, 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 preach at the mic? You can can have all the gifts in the world. If I give you the mic today, you can preach a great message. But in the long run, I'm looking for faithfulness. If you're going to be here in this house, I'm looking for faithfulness. And that's what God is looking for as well. If you look at the life of Joseph, Daniel, and David, you will see three men that experienced incredible promotion and increase. And many times when preachers preach about Joseph, Daniel, and David. They talk about how they got that increase through the favor of God. And that's true. But you see, that's just part of the story. They didn't, they didn't go from their humble beginnings to these great positions of authority just through the favor of God. It wasn't just the favor that brought the bigger assignments. It was favor combined with faithfulness. Because if you look at the lives of these three men, they were faithful in small things. Joseph, when he was a butler, his dishes were clean. Powels were where they needed to be. He was faithful in small things. And Potiphar took notice of him. and said, Hey man, I noticed you're really faithful with all that stuff. Man, can you handle this? Can you manage the other butlers? And next thing you know, he's managing Potiphar's house. Later on, he gets framed, he gets sent to jail. While he's in jail, his prison cell is like the cleanest prison cell. <laughs> and the is like, oh man, I'm tired. Can you help me out? Yo, distribute the food. And Joseph is just doing it. So faithfully, prison is like, yo man, you my white hand man. I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you the keys even. All right? Joseph became the prime minister of Egypt. Not just through the favor of God. But it was favor working alongside Joseph's own faithfulness. If you look at the life of Daniel, here he was a guy who's faithful in small things as well. Daniel used to go up to the rooftop to pray at noon every single day. He was faithful in small things. Daniel didn't have a reputation before Nebuchadnezzar as a lazy servant. As a servant that just did the minimum. Now, Daniel was a, was a diligent servant, a faithful servant. And eventually through the favor and faithfulness of Daniel, through the favor of God and through the faithfulness that Daniel exhibited, he became the right-hand man as well. David, faithful in the small things, before he became the king of Israel, he was out in the fields. He was out in the hillside shepherding his father's sheep. It was the job of the youngest of the young in the family. And so that it was, it was such a, a, a dirty job that nobody else wanted to do that when Prophet Samuel arrived to, to speak to all of Jesse's sons, They didn't even consider calling David in. They didn't even consider that. Right? And although his brothers and even his own father were not able to see it, God saw David's heart. He saw God's... He saw David's faithfulness. And it was the faithfulness of David working alongside with the favor of God that brought him into the kingship. You see... If God only employed favor to bring His chosen leaders into positions of authority, then His chosen leaders would lack the character and habits necessary to be successful and fruitful. You see, if all God did was just give you favor and just give you promotion, 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 and the whole time your character's not catching up to your assignment, I'll tell you right now, you won't have a very long assignment. This is why God... Many times when he wants to raise up a man after his own heart, he raises them up by assigning them small, humble tasks and to see if they're faithful in it. You see, faithfulness I mean challenge you to look at it this way. Faithfulness is a character trait. Do you know that? Faithfulness is a character trait. Galatians chapter five, verse twenty two is this the fruit of the spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Guess what's in there? Faithfulness. Well, I'll be darned. You know, you're, you're a very gentle person. You have wonderful character. You're a very loving person. You're, you have wonderful character. But often we don't think of faithfulness as being in there. But I'm telling you right now, faithfulness is a character trait. It is a virtue. And like fruit, faithfulness takes time to grow. So instead of giving you a, an assignment Like a big assignment too quickly That you can't handle God builds up the character trait of faithfulness in you Through the small assignments Everybody with me here If you are, say amen Now at Hillside I ended my message here Because I, I ran out of time But uh, if y'all want it I'll, I'll give you the rest of my sermon right here Yeah, okay, I, I Actually I don't care I'm going fi- to finish my sermon because <coughs> I wrote this, I was I stayed up man late. I, I'm I'm I'm, a, I'm a preaching now. According to the parable in Matthew 25, do you know what the antith- antith- antithesis of faithfulness is? What is the direct opposite of faithfulness? Unfaithfulness. <laughs> no. According to Matthew 25, according to the, to the parable, the antithesis, antithesis, wow, that's a word I don't really use, do I? The antithesis of faithfulness is laziness. Come on, somebody. I'm going to give you some revelation today. It's laziness. The ruler said to the unfaithful third servant, You wicked and slothful servant. In the NIV, you wicked and lazy servant. To the first two, he commended their faithfulness. To the third servant, he rebuked his laziness. Most people will not equate laziness to wickedness. Oh, that brother's lazy. What a wicked boy. We don't normally equate it like that, right? But when you consider what is entrusted to you and who it is that has entrusted it, when you do nothing with your gifts, your opportunities, when you do nothing with your life, and you're just being lazy, in the sight of God, that's wicked. There are too many missed opportunities. You wasted your life. He's given you gifts that you may steward it and that you may you may prove faithful. But you just go and waste it. That's, that's wicked in the sight of God. And do you know what drives a person to be faithful? What is the drive behind a person's faithfulness? Let me ask you this. All right. Well, the, the answer is contained in the word faithfulness. All right. The thing that drives a person to be faithful is faith. Now let me explain. If you're going to be faithful to your boss, or to your manager, or to God, you've got to have a faith and a trust that if you do good, you will be rewarded. Without this basic belief, you will have little no- motivation to complete your work you will have little motivation to go above and beyond and bring back a thousand percent increase. You will take long lunch breaks, long lunch breaks, and you will probably seek to just do the minimum. And this is why secular companies, they have things like annual bonuses, employee of the month. They have uh, stock options. They have promotions. Right? Because... Good work ought to be rewarded Because what drives a person to be faithful In their assignment Is the basic trust and faith That they will be rewarded for their good work Now Some folks that are filled with the religious spirit They don't like this definition Of faithfulness Religious folks think that Faith and faithfulness are simply virtues That we ought to uphold Irrespective of any expectation of reward They don't like it when we introduce rewards into the equation. So if, if someone's preaching, you give your money to the poor, the Lord will pay you back. And a religious spirit will say, oh, I don't like that. We should just give to the poor because they're poor. Because we just want to help them. Or if the preacher's preaching, if you sow a generous offering today, you will reap a generous Harvest, hallelujah, in your finances. And a lot of people in the church get very uncomfortable with that. Oh, I don't like that. We should just give to God. Because we should just give to God. Or if you say, (coughs) a preacher is saying, if you help the hurting and broken, the Lord will bless you with increase in your own personal walk. The Lord will reward you with a Promotion. That kind of prophetic word specifically came out to you. A religious spirit, a person would say, I don't like that. All right, I, don't, I I'd rather just help the broken and hurting just because I just want to help them. Because it's out of the goodness of my heart. Because I'm a faithful person. The expectation of rewards. Religious folks, they think that this expectation of reward contaminates faith. But brothers and sisters, I beg to defer. Because that's not what the Bible teaches. In Hebrews, I need to educate everybody in here today. Because I'm getting some real blank stares. If you look in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and verse 6. It is one of the most clearest definitions of faith that we find in the Bible. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Let me shatter your definition of faith and faithfulness today. Because you have gotten it from the wrong source. You have gotten it from religious folks that are not led by the Spirit of God that want to put their own spin on it. That don't have the discernment to preach what is there. Brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you the very definition of faith requires that we believe that God rewards those who diligently seek Him. Those who diligently obey Him. Those who diligently serve. They will be rewarded. Look through the entire Sermon of the Mount where Jesus is preaching about prayer, about fasting, about giving and you will see one word get pop up again and again and again and that word is reward the lord who sees what is done in secret will surely reward you david said first samuel 26:23 the lord rewards every man for his righteousness and faithfulness hallelujah That's a good verse. I'm going to read that again. 1 Samuel 26, 23. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and faithfulness. What the Bible is telling you, brothers and sisters, is it's okay to expect rewards. That is the very definition of faithfulness. Your faithfulness will not last very long unless you have a basic belief that you will be rewarded for your faithfulness. And there's some people in here, you're trying to block what I'm trying to say here. It's okay, you can block all you want. I'm going to push right through. I'm going to shatter that today. If you can find a better interpretation of this passage, then do it. If you, then you're going to have to throw out 1 Samuel twenty six twenty three. by the way. Because it's a direct revelation of what I'm talking about right here. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and faithfulness. The Lord rewards some of the men? No. When he feels like it, no. The rewar- the Lord rewards every man for his faithfulness. Hallelujah. God is a God of amazing goodness. This is this is the this is the twisted thinking that Satan has put upon our generation. That we think God is a hard man, that He's a harsh master. But the truth of the matter is God is a generous God of abundant goodness. And a good God loves to give rewards. He not only loves to give gifts, He also loves to give reward. If you were a parent and you had a child, you would love to give them gifts. But you know what you would also delight like to give them? is reward when they respond out of their own will to the things that you teach them. So if you're going to understand this core value Be faithful in small things You've got to understand Faithfulness is driven by a trust That God will reward you Now We just looked at what drives a person to be faithful But do you know what drives a person to be lazy? Because it's also mentioned in both parables Do you know what drives a person to be lazy? It's another word that begins with the letter F It's Fear When you think of a lazy person, do you think of fear? Oh, I'm so lazy. Everything's so scary. You don't think that way, right? But if you look in Luke 19, verse 20 and 21, the servant, the third servant says, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. So what what the servant is saying, confessing is, the reason I was really lazy, it wasn't really my fault. It's not that I'm a lazy guy. It's that I I had this fear. (laughs) Matthew 25, 25. Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. Once again, the heart of laziness, brothers and sisters, is surprisingly is fear the reason why some people never do anything with their God-given gifts is because of fear the reason why they don't go out and do anything with their life all they do is just get married and have kids and just live on their own whatever Just be, go to church and give your tithes and just be a good Christian and not really connect with the call of God for their life is because of fear people go to a vibrant church like for example New Philadelphia they spend months here and they never contribute nothing to the community they got all the time in the world but they're too lazy to show up to church events to prayer meetings to membership class they're too lazy to finish the missions training so they never go on a trip they can play the drums they sing like Mariah Carey but they're too lazy to show up to praise practice So they never get to serve that way? And (coughs) all these people are thinking, oh, brother so-and-so, oh, his problem is he's just lazy. I'm praying for him to get loosened from that grip from the video games, all right, and get him off his couch. I'm just praying that he'll get involved sooner or later. And if that's you, I want to tell you why you are behaving that way. It's not because you're just lazy. It's because you are afraid. You are scared. You're scared of failure. You're afraid of intimacy. You're afraid that people are going to find out about your past or your secret struggles. You're afraid that you're afraid of what people will think when they get to know the real you. You're afraid of making a mistake. Or you know what? You're just playing. you're just afraid of God. You're trying your best to worship and love and relate to Him, but you're, the truth of the matter is, you're afraid of God. That's the root of your laziness issue. So stop blaming the PS3. Stop blaming... Your bad eating habits. Alright, laziness, the heart of laziness is fear. People who are driven by fear, they've allowed Satan to twist their view of God's character. And they think God is a harsh schoolmaster with a big stick ready to bump them over their head for every mistake they make. Where God is just waiting to just bop them over the head. They think that they shouldn't join church membership or leadership. Because they believe that God has this character where He wants to just kill their joy and steal away your fun. <laughs> All your weekends are gone, they're mine now. Oh, I can't join leadership. I'm sorry, Pastor Christian. Can't do that. They think if they fully surrender to God and use their gifts to the fullest, that they might be sent to a place that they don't want to go. Because they think that's the character of God. God's like, I can't wait till you surrender your life to me. (laughs) Because when you do, you know where you're going. Actually, you don't. I'm taking you to Siberia, baby. Because I work in mysterious ways. (laughs) I mean, I'm, I'm giving a caricature, but you know what? This is what goes on in people's hearts and minds. They are afraid of God. They have a wrong view of God. The first two servants, they were faithful. And I bet you what was driving them to be faithful was they were, they were expecting God to reward them. And in fact, when they got rewarded, they were probably blown away by the reward. They're like, I, I thought you were just going to give me a bonus. You're going to make me the governor of ten cities. Wow! God will do immeasurably more than you can ask or think or imagine. Everyone who's living in this way Lazy I want, to, I want to speak two things over you Number one That is not your identity You're, you, The Bible doesn't say The righteous shall live by fear It says the righteous shall live by faith right. Second Timothy 1 says, says that God did not give you a spirit of fear So the Bible says God did not give you a spirit of fear Guess where that fear is coming from That's not your identity you need to stop identifying with that fear like it's your own. You need to start saying, that is alien. That is foreign. That is a trespass. This is not me. This is the only thing I've known for a lot of my life. But you know what? I've had it. This fear is going to expire this year. I'm going to not allow it to rule my life any longer because the righteous will live by faith. Amen. That's not your identity, is what I'm saying. Fear is not your identity. Number two, if you continue to live in fear and laziness, God is going to call, eventually call it for what it is. Wickedness. And believe me, you don't want to reach that point with God. I'm only including this warning because it's included in the parables. If you continue to live your life in fear and laziness... judgment of god will fall eventually either in this life or on judgment day and let me explain what i mean by that at the end of the parable of the talents the third servant is taken away uh, the uh, the third servant's talent that one talent he had it gets taken away and given to the guy who has 10 and then the third servant is thrown out into the darkness, outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, I'm not sure how to interpret this imagery. Weeping and gnashing of teeth is used by Jesus only in the Gospel of Matthew, only mentioned one, one other place in the New Testament. And Jesus uses it to refer to hell. But, but, I am not convinced that it necessitates an interpretation of hell every single time. So, in Matthew 25, is this outer darkness talking about a place of shame or a place of eternal torment? Now, if it's talking about hell, then it, is, it should be assumed that the third servant here in our parable is not a Christian. This person does not know God. He may be a religious man, but he is a stranger to the king of kings. And his actions simply expose his estrangement. But if this outer darkness, if it's not talking about hell, then this imagery may be describing the emotional shame that Christians may either experience on earth or on judgment day if they continue to live their life in fear and laziness. For example, this, guy, <coughs> this guy's got one talent, but it gets taken away from him. You know, what happens is a lot of times people who have many talents, we look at them and go, man, God... That's not fair. You gave him all these singing abilities. You gave him all these athletic abilities. Look what I can do. I could drive a car. Well, I can put on makeup. Well, I can walk in high heels without tripping. I don't know. You know, you, you compare with, and then you're like, man, he's got a great public speaking. Look at Pastor Christian. He's got a great public speaking ministry. He's got this incredible gift and skill. You give it to him. But what do I got? I get up on the mic and I'm still, I can't talk. And, and, and a lot of people we compare and the person who has less talents they often are tempted to do nothing with their less talent but I'll tell you right now whether you get 5, 2 or 1 God will hold you accountable for what you do with it He's not going to just hold accountable the people who got many talents He's going to hold accountable everyone who has even just one talent and let me tell you right now <laughs> if the judgment falls while you're on earth whatever you have God's saying, Man, I'm just take that away from him. You know, Zach, I gave him all I gave I didn't give him many talents, I just gave him a few. But you know what? Even with the few he has, he ain't doing nothing with it. You know what? Just take that joint, give it to Sonia here, right here, here. Give it to Sonya. And people will be like, Well, that's not fair. If you look in Luke nineteen, they're like, What the, that's not fair. And then the master's like, Man, I'll do what I want. That's just, that's just the attitude. I'm sovereign. God's saying, I'm sovereign. I'll do what I please. (laughs) But, so, so the outer darkness could be hell or it may not be hell. But to conclude that lazy Christians will be thrown into hell allows this parable to say too much. And it allows the parable to overshadow too much of what the rest of scripture teaches on the subject. So in that sense, I do not believe that Matthew 25's parable is teaching us that lazy Christians will go to hell. So let me just assure you, if you're here at New Philadelphia Church, this will be the message you hear from me. Because, you know, one, number one, I'm a, I'm a strong Calvinist. I do not believe you can lose your salvation. Guess what? Because salvation is not in your hands. You're not the one who does the saving. The Bible says it is God who saves. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So salvation, this eternal matter, this very important matter, the most important matter, that's in the hands of God. I'm telling you, I don't care how bad you backslide. I mean, you could backslide real bad and make everybody think that you're not a Christian, but guess what? In the eyes of God, He knows those who are His. He knows them by name. So I, I will teach here and I will teach you clearly. You cannot lose your salvation. So no matter how lazy and how fearful you live your life, all right, I, I do not believe that Jesus will throw you into hell for your laziness. Okay, and that's—I don't believe that's what it's t- saying because you know why? At the end of the parable of the ten minas that we see in Luke 19, the third servant mina is taken away and is rebuked and he's thrown. Um, uh, but he's not thrown into the outer darkness like in Matthew's parable. <coughs> the third servant he just gets rebuked, and then they take, they take the mina from him, and then that's it. And then guess who does get punished? The king focuses his punishment and wrath on his enemies that had hated him and opposed him that was mentioned earlier in the parable. So if Jesus was trying to reinforce the point that lazy Christians are in danger of going to hell, this would have been the perfect opportunity to do that, but he doesn't. Do you hear what I'm saying? I believe that Jesus gives us this third servant simply as an example Of the consequences of wasting your life In security and in complacency If you're born Brothers and sisters If you're born into a rich nation And you know what, guess what All of you in here have If there's somebody from Bangladesh You let me know right now But everybody in here Has been born into a privileged nation Many of you have gotten a college education Guess what According to the parable, guess how many minors you have? Well, I guess the minors, they're, they're all the same. Uh, according to the parable of talents, guess how many talents you have? You're the guy who has the most. You're the guy who has the most. The guy in India that's living in poverty, he only got one. You got a lot of talents in your hands. All of y'all in here. And if all you do is squander your talents on materialism and selfish ambitions, what I'm saying is there will be consequences. And one of them will be that while you're on earth, even what you have can be catastrophically taken away from you overnight. Brothers and sisters, you see the first two servants in both parables, in order for them to produce more talents and minas, They probably had to go out and meet people. They had to meet strangers. They had to talk to people. They had to go make transactions. They had to travel to various cities. They had to take various risks. And in similar fashion, the Christian life is active. It's dynamic. It requires risk. It requires faith. Getting out of your comfort zones and putting others first. It's only when you live your Christian life in that way that you bring forth a fruit that honors God. You take what God has given you and you produce a thousand fold. thousand percent increase. And what Jesus is saying is through the third servant, the safe route is not acceptable. So if anyone in here as a Christian, you thought it was an option, it was an option for you to obey God's purpose and will for your life, I'm telling you here today, Jesus is making clear. All right? The safe route is not acceptable. When Jesus passed by the fig tree and it did not have figs, he was very upset. Brothers and sisters, God has put the kingdom of God in you in seed form. All of you, if you are true born-again Christians... You have the spirit of the living God residing inside of you. I'll tell you right now, when Jesus comes up to a believer who has the spirit of God living inside of them, he expects something. And when he does not see it, he says, that is not acceptable. I'll give you a few more years. I'll give you a little bit more time. Oh, you've been hurt? All right, I'll get you. hope you get healed. But if after you get healed all you do is squander it in materialism and all you do is care about and all you do is look out for number one, God will say, you know what? Jesus will say, all right, take what he has and just, just give it to the guy who's, who's got 10. Brothers and sisters, the safe route is not acceptable. <laughs> so you know what? Be faithful. Be faithful in the small things. And and God will reward you and you will experience increase, promotion. Some of you in here will go on to be millionaires. You know what? I'm not afraid to say that as a pastor. You know, they, they say religion is there to keep you humble and poor. Now, I don't preach religion here. I preach the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God to advance requires wealth. In fact, the Bible prophesies that the wealth of the wicked will be transferred to the righteous. Drug dealers that have been building up millions, billions of dollars of wealth overnight that's going to get transferred to the righteous to build a house of prayer in a city, to build a church, to open up an orphanage. Hallelujah. But it will only go to those who are being faithful in the small things. God... Man looks on the outer appearance, God. Looks at the heart. Brothers and sisters, bring a heart before God that is faithful in small things. Let's pray.